Pass First point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You'll listen to another episode of Lockdown Blazers, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is another edition of Mailbag Monday. Entire episode answering listener-submitted questions. There's two ways you can get involved in Mailbag Monday. You probably know them by now, but just in case this is your first run-through, here's how it goes down. You can just tweet at me whenever you're thinking of a Blazer or NBA-related question, at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. No need to wait. When you're thinking of it, send it my way and I'll answer it on the show. It does help if you indicate that it is a Mailbag Monday-related query. Two, you can just watch this guy's Monday morning, usually around 9 a.m. Pacific time. I send out a tweet soliciting listener questions at Mike G. Rich on Twitter. Look for that tweet. You respond to it. I'll answer it on the show. The third way, you can do it via email. Send an email to LockedOnBlazersPod. That's LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Those are the three ways you can get involved. I pretty much answer every single question that gets submitted. I have a pretty good success rate. So if you want to hear your Twitter handle or your question answered on the show, that's how you get it done. Today's episode is going to be a little bit different. Uh, we were light on questions today. I was late sending out the tweet soliciting questions. And the NBA season has been gone for a month. And I think we're getting a little bit slower. But we've had better momentum in the past. I think this is more on me than about you, the sweet listeners. So we're going to do one question per segment kind of stretch out these questions, answer them with a little more in depth, but uh, we're not going to rapid fire through 15 today. So if you were looking, if you wanted 15 questions, come back next week. This week, we're just rolling with three. And our first question comes from Logan Gillis at Logan Gillis on Twitter, who asks, what are the two to three best moves and two to three worst moves that Neil Olshay has made in his time with Portland besides the obvious ones? I don't really know what the obvious ones are necessarily, Logan. Um, I understand the 240 character limit on Twitter may have uh, precluded you from explaining, but I'm going to assume the obvious ones is drafting Damian Lillard. Let's say that's not not one of the uh, not one of the moves that we praise Olshay for. He'd only been on the job for a few weeks at the time. He was hired that summer. Uh, I I think, to be quite honest, uh, Neil might get credit for that and probably deserve a little bit of credit for that, but. Everyone was any anyone who had been in charge for that particular team. I think would have taken Damian Lillard would he, if he was available. It just wasn't clear that he was going to be available. Shout out to the Kings drafting Thomas Robinson. But that Blazer that Blazer team desperately needed a point guard. They've looked for the point guard of the future. Dame was in all the mocks in that sort of five through nine range. Um, it made sense that he was going to be a target for the Blazers. So even if even if it's definitely Neil's best move, and it definitely is drafting the best player in franchise history or or presumed soon to be best player in franchise history, I don't think it counts under yours. So should we start with the good or the bad? I think let's start with the bad and we'll end on a positive note. Here are the three worst moves in Neil's tenure with the Trailblazers, which started in 2012. I think the first and obvious one, and this might be obvious, this might not this might not meet your standards, but it's trading for Aaron Aflalo in the uh at the trade deadline in 2015. Sent Will Barton, Victor Cavalier, Thomas Robinson, and a pick that eventually became Malik Beasley to the Denver Nuggets. Aflalo just didn't work out in Portland. I don't think he I just don't think he fit Terry's system. Um, even before he got hurt, he had a shoulder injury that kept him out of the playoffs, allowed CJ to step forward, allowed CJ to kind of take this big step as a star, launched his career. But even before Oflalo got hurt, he just wasn't the right fit. A lot of people thought he would be. I believe even Greg Popovich off the cuff praised the trade. I think it was 
uh, considered a very good trade in the moment, but turned out to be a really bad one. Uh, Will Barton, a really useful NBA player and good friend of Damian Lillard. Claver out of the league. T-Rob out of the league. Malik Beasley, uh, pretty useful wing. Probably going to get, whenever there's an offseason, might get paid a bunch of money by the Minnesota Timberwolves. Pretty interesting there. Okay, the next worst deal in or the next worst move of the Neil Olshay era. This isn't this is more just like a, a bad week he had in July, but in the summer of 2016, Neil Olshay decided to match Alan Crabb's four-year $75 million offer sheet from the Brooklyn Nets to bring Crabb back at four for 75. There was just no way Alan Crabb could live up to that. It was unfair. I mean, it's not unfair to go get your money, little duffel bag boy, but um I can't fault Crab for putting his name on that contract, $75 million. But the guy just has he's such has such a limited skill set. He can't really dribble. He's not super aggressive. He's an okay defender. I mean, I think he's really fallen off in that regard. Has he's had some health issues, but he's kind of like a league average or slightly above average defender and a guy who you would kind of have to coax into shooting more and you gave him $75 million. It's hard to say whether that was Neil or Paul, but Neil's name is on it. Um, so the ownership group skates on that one. It was a bad plan. They eventually had to trade Alan Crabb the following year back to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for Andrew Nicholson, who they then waived, and the Blazers are still paying Andrew Nicholson's dead money against the salary cap. They are still paying for the Alan Crabb deal as we speak. That happened on July 13th. A couple days earlier, the Blazers had re-signed Myers Leonard to a 4 for $40 million deal. Now, I'm not going to bang on Myers Leonard on this podcast. I'm sure you can find other podcasts in the world out there that will bang on Myers Leonard and call him bad. My thing about this is Neil wanted uh, Myers. Myers was a Neil draft pick. Neil wanted Myers to flourish, believed that he could, but he was sending him to a coaching staff that Terry Stotts very clearly did not care for Myers Leonard on the court. Right? Like, whatever Myers was doing, Terry wasn't into it. He was the guy he yelled at the most on the team. He was the guy that kind of had the shortest leash and got yanked for mistakes faster than anyone else on the team. So bringing him back on a long-term deal just seems like a bad fit with the coaching staff. Uh, Eventually, Neil basically had to trade away or not bring back uh, Ed Davis in order to clear out room so Myers had to play, kind of had to have room to play on the roster. That, You know, he had to he had to juke the roster in order to get Terry to play him. Uh, I also just think $40 million for Myers Leonard in that particular climate, there was no competition for him. He didn't reportedly didn't get any other deals. I think you could have signed him to a four-year $30 million deal, maybe a four, even four for 22 might have done it. Even, you know, two for 15, you could have had Myers around. Um, I understand the idea. You get him under team control and you can trade him, but it was a bad, it was a bad deal. The third and final worst move of the Neil Olshay era signing Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver to contracts. Not because they're not good. They were paid what they should be paid, the league minimum. It was signing those guys to be your bench depth and then trumpeting that your team had championship caliber depth, the deepest and most talented team they'd ever had. It's not the deals so much as what followed the deals. This was a time to say, we like what we have. We like what we've done. We think we're going to be good. Not, this is a championship caliber team and Mario Hazonia and Anthony Tolliver will compete for the final regular every single night rotation spot. Just a wild thing to do. In the second segment, we'll come back. Tell you about the three best moves in the Neil Olshay era, plus a couple trade proposals. But first, I want to tell you all about Postmates. 
from the early morning breakfast burrito to a 12-pack of beers while you watch the recorded game on your DVR, sometimes you just need what you need delivered fast. And that's where Postmates comes in. They'll deliver your food from every restaurant you can think of right to your door. But they don't just deliver food. They deliver things that make life easier, like grocery delivery or whatever you can think of delivery too, from convenience stores, clothing stores, you name it. Just download the Postmates app on iOS or Android and find your favorites and get anything you want delivered within the hour. For a limited time, Postmates is giving my listeners $100 of free delivery credit for your first seven days. To start your free deliveries, download the app and use the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $100 of free delivery credit with no minimum purchase for your first seven days when you download the Postmates app. Anything you need, anytime you need it. All right. So in the first segment, we talked about the worst moves of the Neil Olshay era. Let's talk about the good stuff he did. Uh, like I mentioned up top in that first segment, we're, we're not going to do the Damian Lillard draft thing. It's clearly the best move he's made, but it's unclear if... Um, it was a Neil thing or just the obvious pick at the time. And in any case, we're digging a little bit deeper. We'll do these mostly chronologically. So the, the first thing that a good Neil move was trading Jeff Withy, a pick that became Chinanu Owaku was the number 37 pick in the draft in case you're scoring at home. And a second rounder that was actually never swapped plus cash considerations in a three-team deal with the Kings and Pelicans for center Robin Lopez. The Blazers won 54 and 51 games the next two seasons. Robin Lopez solidified the middle. He solidified a defense that was among the worst in the league and improved them to slightly above league average, even a top 10 defense one year. Um, you know, he wasn't flashy, but he was the perfect complement next to LaMarcus Aldridge. He was a hell of a major upgrade over J.J. Hickson and Joel Freeland, with all due respect to those two gentlemen. But Lopez made this team from a exciting, you know, Dame and LaMarcus and man, they could use a couple other parts too. I would argue a legitimate championship contender one of those seasons before Neil, or before Neil, before Wes Matthews blows out his Achilles. I mean, they were really good both those years. Uh, They made the second round of the playoffs, lost to the eventual champion San Antonio Spurs in the first year. And then with the injuries and all those things, they lost to the, the Memphis Grizzlies in Lopez's second year. And then he was gone just like that. Poof. Signed with the Knicks and uh, has bounced around since now as a Milwaukee Buck. But Robin Lopez, who changed the the whole timbre of that team, allowed them to be what they became. I think that was a great move by Neil very early on in his tenure. The next one, and this is probably my most controversial pick. This is probably my hottest pick of the best moves of the Neil Olshay era. I'm going to say signing Al Farouk Aminu to a four-year, $30 million deal in the summer of 2015. What the hell are you talking about, Mike? You might be yelling into your headphones or wherever you're listening to this. Here's what I'm talking about. The Blazers made the playoffs all four years of Alfredo Camino's tenure. They averaged 47 wins a year. They made the Western Conference Finals. They made the second round of finals a, a year before that. And for his faults, the dude was a terrible dribbler, a, a minus passer, like just straight up bad at passing. He's probably worse at passing than he was at dribbling. Um, and you guys remember the bad dribbling, if you remember the Afrukuminu era. He had a wonky jump shot that took a long time to to uh, get off. And even when it was a slightly above league average 
jump shot for two full seasons while he was with the team. It never really inspired a lot of confidence because even though he was making 36.5% of them, he was throwing up wild, ugly bricks. But what Chief did, what Al Farouk Aminu did, was provide a level of guaranteed competence to the team as a as a very good defensive rebounder, a versatile and long defender. He has real weaknesses. And I think he's in a terrible spot to showcase them with the Orlando Magic, where basically everyone on their team has his similar weaknesses. More on that in a second. But he was really useful. And he was really cheap. Under 8 million bucks a year. He was the perfect fit for what they needed. Um, he didn't mind not getting the ball very much. He allowed them to, he allowed them to reach the peak that they reached because of his, his level of competence. Now he had real weaknesses. He was such a bad shooter that in the playoffs teams wouldn't guard him. And that was a problem, but I don't want to, I don't want to be too rude to this year's team, but like, this team wasn't good enough to maybe make the playoffs. They could use someone who would be bad in the playoffs. The uh, It's a luxury to find out you're bad in the playoffs. It means that you're pretty good in the regular season. So Al Farouk Aminu is the second good Neil move of his tenure. And then the last one is, is a double. It's two, it's two moves. Trading Mason Plumley. First, trading Steve Blake and the pick that was Rondé Hellis-Jefferson or the rights to Rondé Hellis-Jefferson for Mason Plumley and Pat Connaughton. Uh, Plumley really helped that Blazer team. They needed they needed a little more quality in the middle after losing Robin Lopez. Uh, Plumley's passing ability was immediately um, a huge boost to the offense, a creativity that Lopez didn't provide. Plumley played hard as hell. Um, he wasn't a good, he wasn't a particularly good defender. He wasn't a really high level rebounder, but he played really hard and he, and he didn't do dumb stuff. The first year of the Plumley signing, the team won 44 games kind of out of nowhere in that, uh, 2015 summer or 2015-16 season. They made the second round of the playoffs, thanks in part to the Clippers all getting injured in the same two-and-a-half-minute spurt. But that team was, you know, in leading in the game and leading in the series when those injuries happened, so it's hard to say that they for sure would have lost. Um, but Plumlee had real limitations. But Plumlee's... Much like Al Camino, Plumlee's just, like, baseline level of confidence and hustle were really valuable, and his skills as a passer opened up the Blazers' offense in a way that they had not had before. Um, there, the story goes that basically early on in September, he grabbed a rebound when they were playing pickup, like, kind of before uh, training camp officially started. Plumlee grabs, grabs a rebound off the rim and turns the other way, and, you know, dribbles the ball at the court, goes behind his back, throws a pass on the break, and Terry Stotts goes, oh, he can do that. I guess we'll do that this year. But Plumlee didn't last long. The second year, the Blazers weren't very good. They were ten, more than 10 games under 500 when the year flipped. Uh, and what Neil do? Traded Mason Plumlee in a 2018 second rounder to Denver in exchange for Yusef Nurkic. And a 2017 first rounder that became... Sort of Harry Giles, but the Blazers packaged that first rounder to acquire Zach Collins. So in a way, Mason Plumlee became Nurk and Zach. That's pretty good. I think that's the best move, the best non-Lillard move of Neil's career by a long shot. 
in Neil's career in Portland, that is, by a long shot. Um, it's funny going back and listening to the interview. Uh, I listened to it today. Uh, Neil is more excited about getting younger, cheaper, and getting a draft pick. He's not super, super excited about the Bos- 23-year-old Bosnian that he's just acquired. His tune's going to change pretty soon after that because Nurk was a revelation. He's changed this team. He's changed the ceiling on this team. The The idea is that if if healthy with Nurk, this is a championship-level team. So that's it. Those are the, the best three moves and the worst three moves in Neil's tenure with the Blazers. If you've got another one that isn't drafting Damian Lode, tweet at me at Mike Rich. Send me an email at LockedOnBlazersPod at gmail.com. Okay, before we move on to the third segment, we've got some trades proposed. Justin Osland at Justin Osland 7 on Twitter asked me, he actually sent me a link to a story by Greg Swartz of Bleacher Report. And basically he highlighted a couple of the trades listed in this story by Swartz. And he said, would you do this if you were Portland? Let's run through the trades. First one is a deal with the Orlando Magic where the Blazers send out Anthony Simons, Trevor Reza, and Gary Trent Jr. in exchange for Aaron Gordon. This is a guy the Blazers have been linked to for a long time. Uh, like I mentioned in the Alfred Camino bit, the, the, uh, Magic are just flush with dudes who can't really shoot, are long, good defenders, and probably should play power forward. The problem with having, like, four of those guys on the roster is that they can't all play together at the same time. Uh, good luck, Orlando. So, before we get there, I don't, this is a decent trade. I'm not sure this is, without a pick, quite enough to get Aaron Gordon. I mean, he's on a really reasonable deal, uh... I, I'm not sure the rest of the league is excited as as excited about Anthony Simons as the Blazers are, so it's hard to gauge his uh, trade value. You know, Ariza at the like I said, end of his career, Gary Trent Jr. like looking like a pretty useful player in a way. Gary Trent Jr. might be the sexiest pick in this draft, although Simons has probably more just raw star potential than Trent. So let's let's assume that yes, the the Magic agree to this, and then let's move on to the next trade. This is actually a two part trade. The second trade is sending out. Christian James McCollum to the Brooklyn Nets in exchange for wing Karis LeVert, forward Torian Prince, and a 2020 first-round pick via Philadelphia 76ers. So that's going to be like a, a early 20s pick. Let's call it the 22nd pick, 24th pick in the NBA draft. Blazers done pretty well in the mid-20s if you're into Anthony Simons. Um, so this deal, the idea would be that... Uh, CJ McCollum as a surefire third star and a really nice third option would fit well next to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. Uh, okay, is my response to that? Sure, sure, that's definitely a thing that'll work. Um, put him in there with Spencer Dinwiddie. That's de- there's definitely enough basketballs to go around, and everyone will be happy and they'll be maximizing their potential. And CJ definitely won't have the same problems he has playing next to Dame, playing next to Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant. No way, no way. This is a perfect fit. Great idea. Um, that would leave the Blazers with Lillard Lavert, Torian Prince, Aaron Gordon, Yusuf Nurkic, with guys coming off the bench, Zach Collins, Nazir Little, Rodney Hood, Mario Hazonia. Obviously, they have to fill out the rest of the roster. I'm kind of assuming that this means Carmelo walks. So those are your nine guys. I worry that you're losing, uh, with... The, the thing that the Blazers have prioritized, and I think rightly so, is having other dudes who can dribble, not named Damian Lillard. I think this... Lavert can obviously do that, but I'm not sure anyone else on the roster can, I mean, Mario can, but like dribble across the court, dribble across the half court line and get you into an offense in a way that you would want. Uh, I kind of think Torian Prince and Aaron Gordon would have the same problems that 
Aaron Gordon has playing next to Jonathan Isaac in Orlando, where they overlap too much as sort of non-shooting fours, where one of them has to play the three. I, I kind of think Prince is more of a four than a three. Um, he's a career like league average three-point shooter, so he's not he's not Jonathan Isaac or Aaron Gordon in that respect. That said, all those negatives that I've thrown out there, I don't love either of these trades. But in I think in theory. This would make the Blazers the same with different parts and different weaknesses. So if you're into them needing a sort of change of scenery, I like this idea. I like the Gordon and Nurk pairing. I like, um, I really like Karis LeVert. I think he's like a, before he got hurt, like he was on track to be an all-star type player. And before they added players ahead of him on that roster. Uh, I, I liked Torian Prince. I didn't love him this year in Brooklyn. I thought he was kind of, I thought he he just like forgot how to shoot and and do things that I liked him more when he was with the Hawks. Um, the idea of adding another first round pick this would this team could have two rookies sort of in that in that seventeen to twenty five range or fourteen to twenty five range could be really useful if they miss the playoffs. You know, ten to twenty five range. Um, I'm just not sure that this is like a, if you're trying to raise the ceiling and win a championship in Damian Lillard's time, I'm not sure this is, these are the moves that, that I'm not sure Karis LeVert and Aaron Gordon are, a, are enough of an upgrade over just CJ McCollum plus other parts that you would say, yeah, this is a championship level team. Um, I like these trades, but I don't love them. So you could probably talk me into them, but I I think this you've built just another forty eight win team or another forty seven win team. You know I I'm not sure that you've built the juggernaut. The other trade that Justin proposes, would you do this if you were Portland? Is Bradley Beal in exchange for Anthony Simons, Gary Trent Jr., Zach Collins, a twenty twenty first round pick and a twenty twenty two first round pick. Uh, these are the actual language in Justin's tweet was like Simons, Trent, Zach, and multiple firsts. So I made up the first with my own protections to give it some, um, something that I thought would be realistic enough that Washington would consider. Would I do this? I would, here's my, here's my issue with this trade. I think the very basics of building an NBA team are this. You want to have the most good players possible. Bradley Beal is very good. Um, I think having him and Dame and CJ is a little bit of an overlap. You're talking about a bunch of very good dudes under six foot six. It seems hard to play them all three together and really be an elite level team with that three guard lineup. Seems like you're kind of neutering CJ even more. That said, have really good players is the plan. Bradley Beal is a better player than I think Simons and Gary Trent will ever be. Um, it, it would it would stink for the Blazers to lose Zach Collins because I think he's there's real hope um, for him to turn into a very useful defensive player and, and a good complement to what they have now, but that's the price to pay. Losing the two draft picks are also tough to get rid of, but again, Damon Lowe's going to be 30 years old in July. You want to win now. You'll worry about 2022 in 2022. Um, I would not do this trade if I'm the Blazers just because I don't think Brad Beal for that combination improves the team enough, but man, that's a lot of talent. It's a lot of talent. Um, I, this is another one where I could be, I wouldn't personally do it, but I could be talked into it. Man, do I sound like someone who just doesn't want to do trades? Am I the person who says that like the Blazers are fine, even though I like criticize the roster all the time? It's kind of what these trades make me feel like, but I, 
I would be more into uh, the first two trades as a standalone, like Simons, Ariza, and Trent Jr. for Aaron Gordon, I like as a standalone more than I like coupling that with a CJ trade where you get back Karis LeVert, who just seems like a taller, like sacrificing, you get, you know, 80% of CJ's production for three more inches. And I'm not sure LeVert's an elite defender, but, you know, like, um, I like those. I probably like those trades standing alone more than I like them coupled together. So maybe I'm just worried too much change. Maybe that's more what my aversion to these trades are. Justin, thanks for sending those my way. Greg Swartz, thanks for writing some trade proposals that provided us with some season hiatus content here in a weird stretch of April. Let's come back in the third segment, close out the show with our final question on Mailbag Monday. Okay, still a pass first point guard, still Mike Richmond, and it's still Mailbag Monday. Let's close out the show with more of your questions. This last one, our final question of the show, comes from Matthew at Reverend Romulus on Twitter, who asks, does the current pandemic make it more or less likely that we see the Blazers under new ownership sometime soon? Let's say before 2022. Also, who would win in a fight between James, Jason Bourne and James Bond? Let's get the important one out of the way first. Jason Bourne. It's Jason Bourne. Uh, pick your Bond. Uh, and he is not ready for sort of the level of violence and intensity and um, survivalist nature of Jason Bourne. Bond is ready to drink a martini and flirt with your wife and wear a nice suit and maybe shoot a tiny little gun and Jason Bourne is ready to crash through your window and fight you hand and fist. I know that there are older Bonds that killed more people, um, but I I just really think um, Jason Bourne's fight with the, not even U.S. government, but the like private proto-military organizations that wanted to chase him down in most of those movies has prepared him more for a one-on-one fight with a secret agent than anything uh, particularly a recent Bond has done. So yeah, give me Jason Bourne all day, um, although Bond would probably get to drive a cooler car, I think. Probably definitely wear a nicer suit. Okay, let's answer this Blazers ownership question. Does the pandemic make it more or less likely the Blazers are sold by 2022. I don't, my gut is that it doesn't have too much of an impact. Um, I think I've said this on the show before, and if I'm not, uh, I don't mean to report this as like crazy breaking news, but when uh, Paul passed, I asked someone with the Blazers basically like, so is this, you know, are the dominoes going to come quickly? Like, is, is this, the, the report is basically that Jody Allen, his sister who inherited this state, was not a huge basketball fan, and she was probably more of a Seahawks fan, and that Selling the Blazers just made sense because it wasn't something she was super passionate about. Well, that person at the time um, told me that it would probably be f- f- four or five years before that even like came to came to a head, before there was really getting serious momentum. And that was just by that sort of vague timeline, that would be about 2024 before things really got going. And I don't think the pandemic necessarily changes that, at least from my perception of what, of what that answer meant when I asked the question. But... I will say this, Jody Allen's probably been to, or before the season ended, probably 65, maybe 75% of the games. Like she's at, She was at a ton of Blazer home games. Not on the road. She wouldn't be on the road like Paul would randomly be, where he'd just like be in Phoenix, or be in Sacramento, or, or whatever it was, be in Chicago. 
That would happen occasionally on the road. Paul loved the Blazers, passionate about it. I don't think Jody is that type of basketball nerd. She's not you and I. She doesn't love the game like that. But she's, it's not like she dislikes the team. She came to, what they, I think they missed nine home games. So that leaves her with 32 home games. She probably came to 22 of them, 24 of them. She was at a bunch. A bunch. So I think the idea that she doesn't like the team is maybe a little bit overblown. Uh, I do think she was more this year a driving force in making the team a little bit cheaper. I think she's more attuned to finances. Um, but perhaps that was always the plan for a team that had been very expensive and always the plan for a team that struggled is why we're, why are we going to pay all this luxury tax if we are not good? But in general, I don't think this pandemic where it likely means that you're losing a lot of money in the near term, which I get I get that logic where since you're losing all this money in the near term, maybe that accelerates the need for a sale, get a bunch of money. She's sitting on probably or the Allen estate in general. This is a two billion dollar sale. This is a like this is a massive come up for someone, even if the prices have been drawn down due to this pandemic and the loss of revenue in China. Uh, controversy that seems very long ago, considering our the current global climate and the current NBA climate. Um, say it's a billion dollars. Say it's lost 50% of its value. We're still talking billion with a B. Um, that's a big transaction that I don't, there's just not a lot of people who are, who are rolling around with a billion dollars, you know, liquid to purchase a team or a billion dollars in assets that they could cash out and purchase a team. I think the the buyer pool is relatively small. Um, I don't think it happens before 2022. I don't think Jody Allen's going to own the team for 15 years. That's not my read on the situation either. But I don't think, I don't think it happens quickly, and I don't think the current state of global affairs and global economy will impact and accelerate the process a great deal. I also don't think it'll slow down the process a great deal. I don't think this is diluted. The, there's already a ha- only a handful of people that could, you know, reasonably purchase this team, and the rich stay rich in this world we live in. So those people are still going to be very rich whenever we come out of this current pandemic cycle and whatever happens with the global economy that follows. Those are my thoughts. If the team is for sale by the time you listen to this podcast, whoops, (laughs) but I really don't think it will be. I think we're a ways away from that. That's going to do it for this edition of Mailbag Monday. I really appreciate all of you who make this possible. That's the people who submit questions, the three of you who submitted questions today and allowed us to make this an even longer than normal mailbag because we're able to go deep on questions and the people who just listen each week and make this part of their routine. I appreciate all of you. I love doing Mailbag Monday. We'll do one next week. We haven't missed one. The lack of basketball isn't going to slow us down. We'll keep it rolling. Do me a favor and tell your friends about this podcast. They can get wherever they already get podcasts. Just search Lockdown Blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. I really appreciate you listening, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.